Do you ever long for simpler times? Simpler times. Um, do you remember, those of you who are automobile mechanically oriented out there, do you remember, uh, as I do years ago, when a tune-up meant some plugs, cap and rotor, maybe an air filter, and you were finished? Remember those days? Those days sure are gone if you try to tune up your car on your own nowadays. Do you remember those days when um, you could call an office and actually talk to a real person? You remember those days? Simpler times. Um, do you remember um, and think about times uh, when uh, technology began to be introduced to us? years ago as we were brought into the computer age and about time we got used to one Windows version they introduced another and another and another and they're all different and if you're like me a little more challenging and more different every time and sometimes I long for the simple simplicity um, think about simple things that have helped people over the years. Many, many, many people suffered and died until the invention, the discovery of a simple pill called aspirin. Yeah. Which could help take care of fevers and things of that nature. Lower them. Many people died as a result of infection until a simple pill came along called penicillin. Penicillin. Simple things that we take for granted, simple things that have a great effect. And I want to talk to you today about what I call a simple prescription. A simple prescription for you and I who sometimes in the face of thinking about our spiritual life and our relationship with the Lord, perhaps we compare ourselves with giants of the faith, both in ancient times and contemporary times, who are a great inspiration to us, but sometimes we feel inadequate when we think about them as opposed to ourselves. And I want to bring good news to you today, because one of the good things about the gospel, which means good news, is that there are things that the Lord calls us to that everybody in this room is qualified to respond to and to live in and breathe in and, and be and do and all these things, a simple prescription of the faith that the Lord calls us to in response to his loving grace to us. Today I'm going to share a message with you from the book of Micah in the Old Testament. The prophet Micah, chapter 6, specifically looking at verse 8 of chapter 6. And that verse simply says to us this. It's in response to a question that the Lord has posed through Micah to those people in Israel and in response to that question, which says, basically, listen, 
you know, what, what do I expect? What have I done for you? I've done lots of things for you. And the Lord's told them how he sent Moses to help them and, and how he's been faithful to them through the generations and so forth. And so what does it take, he's saying to Israel, to be pleasing to the Lord in the face of them thinking, oh, we'll just go through the motions and do more sacrifices or more rituals or so forth, which is what they were trying to do in the days of Micah while they were living hypocritical lives, while they were ignoring the poor and they were wreaking injustice on others. The Lord says, no, no, I, I don't want form. I want something that deals with the heart, a genuine response to what I have done for you. And he simply says this, he's shown you, O mortal or o mankind, what is good. And what is it? What does the Lord require of you to act justly, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? To do justice, to love mercy, to walk humbly with your God. In the face of idolatry, oppression of the poor, a refusal to hear God, Many, many years ago, that's what the Lord said to them. This is what I want from you. This is what I expect from you. And today, I need to hear these words, these simple words, this simple prescription to me today of what the Lord would require of me. Do justice. The word in Hebrew means rightness, a rightness that's rooted in God's character. Isaiah chapter 30 reminds us that God is a God of justice and rightness. And one of the things that we look forward to in the return of Jesus Christ at the final day and when the trumpet sound is not only reunion with those in heaven who've gone before us, not only seeing our Lord and knowing him and hearing his voice, but also that rightness, justice will be accomplished. And that's going to happen at the second coming. Psalm tells us that God loves justice. That God loves folks doing what's right in his eyes. As we look around today, we, we see a world in which, very similar to that world, there was a lot of hypocrisy going on. Folks who were calling for right, and, and yet in their private life, they were living lives inconsistent with what they were calling for. Look at the New Testament and what do we see? We see that the scripture tells us, Peter, we're a chosen people. We're holy. We're set apart to be righteous. Different. Different in the right sense. The Apostle Paul says what? That in all people, there's an innate sense of right and wrong that's there as we look around and see the evidence of God's creation, and, and yet inside in our heart there's something that speaks of justice and rightness in all cultures, and that God calls us to, to, to come to him who, who will show us the ultimate source of justice as we grow like babes in Christ and get to know him and have a responsibility as we grow to become more consistent in our behavior, in our integrity, doing what is right. God calls us to be people who show an example of integrity 
and what is right. Many years ago when I was a youth pastor and talked to young people about integrity, I would sometimes say, well, integrity is that thing, that, that concept, that, that, that part of you that exists when you're by yourself and no one's there to find out if you're doing right or wrong and the decisions you make. When there's not, not, not going to be any consequences, you're not going to get caught. What decision are you going to make? That's what integrity has to do with, a sense of doing right because it's right. Why do we sometimes shirk from that? Why do we sometimes miss that mark? Sometimes it's because I deliberately disobey. I know what's right to do, but I don't want to listen. I exalt myself to the position of God because I think of me. Me first, the struggle that I have. And that's why Jesus said, if one would follow me, first thing is deny self, deny self, take up cross and follow. Sometimes I deliberately disobey God, don't do what's right. Sometimes I rationalize about it. I say, well, God's not quite up to date on this. You know, we know a lot more about that than those folks knew years ago that wrote the Bible and so forth. A lot of situational ethics going around in our culture these days. A lot of folks that set themselves up as God and decide to disregard the wisdom of his words and those who have gone before us in the faith for many, many centuries. Sometimes we don't do what's right because we have an expectation of fairness. In other words, I'll do what's right if everybody else does, if my neighbor does. I'll be nice to them as long as they're nice to me, as long as it comes back to me in the same way. Well, the good thing is this, that Jesus never had any of those attitudes about us and about his life. He could have rationalized in the Garden of Gethsemane. He could have rationalized or tried to get even at the time of crucifixion, but he didn't. Rather, he did what was right, what he was called to do, what he knew was right, but he also did what was right because his motive for doing what was right wasn't just some legalistic thing out of fear of God or anything like that. No, not at all. And God doesn't call us to be people of integrity out of fear and, and trembling and so forth. But Jesus' motivation to do what was right, he did what was right because it was right, but also out of a motivation of a heart of love and mercy. Love and mercy, which properly expressed in our hearts as we experience that, is gratitude. Micah says, love mercy. Do justice, love mercy. It's a great Hebrew word used many times in the scriptures. In terms of God's relationship to Israel, the best translation of it is loving kindness. Some have equated it with the New Testament phrase in 1 John, God is love. It has everything to do with affection and loyalty. Think about God has shown his, how God has shown his mercy throughout the years. In the middle of the Old Testament, we think of the mercy that the Lord showed over and over and over to the nation of Israel. Remember, he would call them to justice. 
He would call them to righteousness, but how many times they failed him over and over and over. And a lot of people want to say the God of the Old Testament was mean and didn't have any compassion. And Well, they haven't read the whole Old Testament because throughout the Old Testament, God is continually calling his folks to repentance and loving them and giving them chance after chance after chance. And then we see that fleshed out in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who showed love and mercy on a, on a scale that no one has ever shown before or since. Remember the time Jesus was in the midst of a, a mob of people and the woman who had an issue of blood disorder in the midst of that crowd reached out and touched the hem of his garment and remember the story as, as, as Jesus stopped in the midst of that crowd and, and, and said, who touched me? Somebody touched the hem of my garment. And, and, and we wonder about Jesus and, and, and that beautiful picture of him stopping everything he was doing to minister to this person who was anonymous to him because Jesus can tell the difference between the indiscriminate touch of a crowd and the touch of someone in need. You think about Jesus as he calls for the little children to climb up on his lap. Let the little children come to me. You can just see the disciples saying, no, 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 he's too busy. Parents, mind your kids. Get them away from him. He's too busy. The Lord's tired. And Jesus says, let them come because Jesus was someone who embodied love and mercy Sometimes I think that kindness, kindness is a lost, lost virtue in our culture, in our world these days. Have you ever seen such meanness? Have you ever seen it? Doesn't it just make you want to shake your head? And it doesn't matter what political persuasion you are, what viewpoint you have, the lack of civility that people show to each other today is appalling, appalling lack of civility, kindness, gentleness. And Christ calls us, God calls us as his church to embody something that's, that's completely counter to that that dominates our culture today that is so mean. You think about our children, our teenagers that are going through things that we never could imagine on the scale they are with the advent of social media, the mean things that happen on Facebook and Instagram and Snapchat, all these various things that our kids are, are, are being attacked by, put down, embarrassed, gossip, all these things would have has existed since the dawn of time and yet are amplified so much now because of technology. God calls us to be people who are a balm, a balm of healing to those who are being attacked unjustly. God shows mercy on us and calls us to be people of mercy and love and kindness and compassion to others. And those are the kind of qualities that when people see them and they experience that touch of Jesus Christ, through our words, through our time, through our caring. Those are the kind of qualities that draw people.
to that which is going to change this world. When we're merciful people, we cannot help but hurt as we see the impurities and the frailties and the inconsistencies and the injustice in our world. We cannot help but want to do something, to do something for someone along the way. The spirit of mercy and kindness inside us cries out for us to give ourselves to others, to give ourselves. Merciful people send money to those in need around the world and here to feed people who are hungry. Merciful people give up their time to go and serve at hospice, at Christian City Convalescent Center, at Atlanta Union Mission, and so many various ways around this city. Merciful people write notes of encouragement. I'm thinking about you. I love you. I haven't forgotten you. They pick up the phone and they call those who are in a time of need or a time of loss when others have gone on with the rest of their lives and, and, and forgotten about them. Merciful people don't forget. Merciful people think with the heart that Jesus thought of us with. That heart that says, you are important to me and I know your name. Merciful people look at people the way Jesus did. Remember that scene as Jesus was up on the mount preaching the Sermon on the Mount and all the wonderful principles and platitudes that he shared, wonderful things that only he as the great teacher could say. But as he came down from those mountains, as he called people to love their neighbor as herself and be the salt of the earth and turn the other cheek and all these wonderful things, the meek will inherit the earth, all these things that we remember, what does the scripture go on to tell us? That when he came down on that, off of that mountain, mountain, he saw the crowds and he had compassion on them. And he went from person to person, people in various conditions, and he served them, and he loved them. Living justly, loving mercy, if we do these things, we can make an impact on the world. One person at a time, one community at a time. But we can't do these things. We can't live justly. We can't love mercy unless we have the final component, and that is that we walk humbly with our God. You see, even with God's help, the things that Micah asked you and I to do are hard, are hard until we remember, as Mike said earlier today, until we remember from whence we have come, who we were until the Lord transformed our lives. That we remember that before Christ saved us, we were wandering, we were aimless, we had not ultimate hope. Because of Calvary, we were given meaning and hope and purpose in life. We were saved from our sins. Do we remember the terrible, costly price that was paid for our sins? When we think about, as we said today in our prayer, the enormous qualities, the awesomeness of God, He who made it all and yet loves us, when we think about those things, and we consider what he's done for us and that he knows us personally, we can only respond 
truly in humility. Lord God, Lord, I'm humble before you. Thank you, Lord. And Lord, in light of all you've done for me, in light of who I see you are, there's nothing that I can do to earn that or to reward or pay back any of that. But Lord, I tell you what, there's nothing too hard you can ask me to do to live like Jesus, to follow him, to live a life in joy and confidence, but live a life anticipating being the hands and feet of Jesus as we go through this world doing what's right in a world that's not doing what's right. We do what's right. We go through this world that's mean and, 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 and biting towards other people, and we, we choose kindness. We choose the high road. We choose all these things as a result of the humility that's in our heart. The humility comes from recognizing what the Lord has done for us and wanting to emulate him and our behavior towards others. I close today with a story about a fellow named Joe. A fellow named Joe. A drunk was miraculously converted at a Bowery mission. Prior to his conversion, Joe had gained the reputation of being a dirty wino from whom there was no hope, only a miserable existence in the ghetto. But following his conversion to a new life with God, his conversion to Jesus Christ, things changed in Joe's life. Joe gradually became the most caring person that anyone associated with that mission there had ever known. Joe spent his days and nights hanging out at the mission, doing whatever needed to be done. There was never any task that was too lowly for Joe to do. There was never anything that he was asked to do that he, was considered, he would consider beneath him. Whether it was cleaning up vomit left by someone who was violently sick from alcohol, or scrubbing toilets in a filthy bathroom, Joe did what was asked with a soft smile on his face and with a seeming gratitude for the chance to help. He could be counted on to feed feeble men and women who wandered into the mission off the street. And he could be counted on to help tuck people into bed who were too out of it to take care of themselves. He could be counted on to listen and to care and to genuinely love people who no one else would love and care for. One evening when the director of the mission was delivering an evangelistic sermon to the usual crowd of still and sullen men with drooped heads, there was one man in the crowd who looked up, came down the aisle to the front, and knelt to pray, crying out for God to help him and to help him change. And that repentant drunk kept shouting, Oh God, make me like Joe. Oh God, make me like Joe. The preacher that day leaned over to the man and said, Son, I think it'd be better if you prayed, 
make me like Jesus. And the man looked up at that preacher and said this, is he like Joe? God calls us to live lives that make people wonder, why? What's different about you? Lives lives that say to those around us that Jesus is the hope and God calls us today to do what's right, to show mercy and love, to walk humbly with our Lord. And when we do that, lives will be changed, the world will be changed. Amen.